Hey everyone, thanks for listening. As you know, we're on the HubSpot Podcast Network and we recently made the switch to go to their CRM platform as well. With this, I get some inside knowledge and some of the products and services they're rolling out and I'm super excited to share that they're relaunching their sales hub with some really exciting new features. The new sales hub connects the dots with sales engagement, so prospecting, deal management, and analytics and coaching. And it aligns all of that so you can have a single view of your customer and also with some of these new AI tools that they're integrating, you can actually automate all those annoying admin tasks that take you away from selling. Trust me, you've got to check this out. We are just scratching the surface with this here at JD Sales, and I've already seen some massive improvements. With Sales Hub, closing deals is no big deal. Try it for yourself at hubspot.com slash sales. Hey everyone, welcome back to Make It Happen Mondays, where we talk about sales, business, entrepreneurship, personal growth, mental health, and everything in between with guests who I truly respect and I think make a positive impact on the world around us. Now, this is a very special week since I'm going to be attending and speaking at HubSpot's inbound conference in Boston all week. Now, because of this, we decided to do a HubSpot takeover of the podcast with my good friend, Russell Bradley Cook, who's actually the senior app partner manager over at HubSpot. And he's going to be talking to some of the leading CEOs in the tech industry about the future of sales and where sales is going, especially in this world of AI. We're going to release these episodes daily, so make sure you tune in and let me know what you think. Let's make it happen. Hi, John. Thanks for having the intro. I'm Russell Bradley Cook, and I'm thrilled to be a part of this. As John mentioned, he's at Boston at our annual Inbound Conference, and I'm going to be bringing you not one, but five episodes this week featuring the CEOs of top software companies with integrations on the HubSpot's marketplace. They are Seismic, Sixth Sense, G2, Chili Piper, and Typeform, talking about how AI is being used by their sales and marketing teams and in their product, as well as the future of sales and partnerships. Thank you very much for joining us. You can join Don and I on LinkedIn with hashtag JBSales and hashtag Let's Make It HubSpot Monday. Let's kick it off. Godard, welcome to Make It Happen Monday. Uh, thanks, Russell. Good to be here with you. Uh, likewise, uh, we were just talking before we started recording. Uh, we had filmed a, an interview over a year ago. And since then, uh, I believe that G2 has passed the billion dollar valuation. Uh, you've had $2 million, uh, 2 million reviews on the platform. And most exciting, I think you biked 116 miles recently. It's been a busy year. Uh, yeah, no, it's been all in all good year, although tough time for our industry, as you know. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, I'm curious. I assume that most people listening to this, um, it's a very sales-oriented audience. They would have heard of G2. Uh, I've been a huge fan of, of G2 for, for a long time. I see it as one of the um, unbiased places where uh, buyers go to, to review information about software solutions. And you've been uh, instrumental in, in building that into a key pillar, not only for, for CRM, but for, for many categories. Uh, I was wondering maybe if you could give a little bit about your, your personal journey, uh, and then also some like high level uh, context on, on G2, uh, fundraising uh, plans, for the, plans for the IPO, uh, headcount and sales and marketing, that kind of thing. Yeah. No, so uh, I've been a software entrepreneur for 25 years now, you know, building SaaS companies. And first, I was also in sales and MarTech. So the first company, we built big machines that became Oracle CPQ, configure price quote. Then we built another one of those, Steelbrick, that became Salesforce CPQ and Revenue Cloud. And that really also inspired us to build G2. 
we just wanted to make software buying and selling easier because we saw a lot of our customers struggle to discover apps like ours that could really help their business. And frankly, as an entrepreneur, as a software seller, we thought it was too hard to get awareness of the great apps we were building. And so that's what we sought out to solve with G2. And we are excited. G2 has now become the leading software review platform. When we started, you know, we said our vision was to create a Yelp for business software because we thought this paradigm that's very common in consumer shopping of using reviews to figure out, you know, which products, which services work best for you, that was missing in our industry. And so we started G2 actually about a decade ago, and it's exciting now to see it coming to life. I think we're up to 2.4 million trusted reviews. And, uh, you know, we did become a unicorn, which is exciting. And hopefully that does put us on the way, you know, someday ringing the bell. Obviously impossible to predict when that's gonna happen, but we are excited. We've really built a global team you know, about 650 people around the world, including team members in Europe, in London, Dublin. Obviously, we started here in the US, and now we also have a team in APAC, in Bangalore, Singapore, and a partner in Tokyo. And so it's really exciting that now G2 is truly connecting software buyers and sellers around the world and doing it based on trusted peer reviews. Yeah, I, I love it. And as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of G2. And and also a big admirer of you. And for for those who don't know, uh, Goddard mentioned um, the work with Steelbricks, but he has two nine figure exits under his belt. And uh, I think G two is going to be even bigger than that. So, uh, or G two is already bigger than that. And so we'll, we'll see when when that the bell rings. Um, in terms of your uh, personal story, I. You started. Uh, maybe can you just share a little bit about how um, kind of growing up, uh, seeing your, your dad's business grow and then how you kind of evolved from that into the, the software industry. Yeah. And I did grow up around entrepreneurship. You know, my father was an entrepreneur in a very different that. industry. He was in pump manufacturing and he was making big industrial pumps. And, uh, but I was born in Germany and that's where my father's business was originally based. And he was very entrepreneurial. He wanted to get in the U.S. market. So when I was nine years old, he decided to move me and our whole family to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to start building you know, his business in the U.S. And so I do remember as a kid, you know, oftentimes going to his office on weekends with him. I remember one of the incentives was he had a very early computer based golf game. Uh, but then as I got older, he also had me sent me to Germany to work in the factory. And uh, so I just remember growing up around, you know, both seeing the challenges, the excitement of building a company. And I do think ultimately that you know, really inspired me to want to be like my dad and, you know, build, build my own business one day. Yeah, I see. Uh, for, for salespeople, I really feel like they, the best salespeople own their business as if it was, take, they take it seriously and they have ownership of it and say, this is what I'm going to build from it. And so I think that they have a lot to learn from, from that lesson and that, that entrepreneurship uh, that you have. And, and I, one of the things that, that, uh, there's a lot of different angles we could take to, to discussion. Um, but <laughs> I joke that, that at HubSpot, we have an SLA for how quickly we can mention AI. And mm. I, I believe you mentioned that you launched a feature called Monty. Uh, maybe if you want to talk a little bit about Monty and, and how that's, um, changing, uh, G2 as a product. Yeah. G2, we did launch Monty. And Monty is the world's first software buying assistant, AI assistant specifically built for business software buyers to guide them to discover the best apps. And probably like most of the world, we were really excited when ChatGPT 3.5 launched last November. And I remember me and my co-founders, we looked at it and we're like, wow, this is incredible. 
And, you know, how can we apply to G2? And we'd actually for years been trying to build software selection tools, you know, that Russell, for example, would ask you, hey, what industry are you in? What's your company size? And try to guide you to the best software. But honestly, none of it worked particularly well. And so we immediately decided, hey, let's try to launch an alpha on top of ChatGPT. And my co-founders, Mike and Tim, they run something called G2 Labs, probably a bit like Darmesh at HubSpot, your co-founder, CTO. And I think he right away also launched, you know, your own AI solution. And my co-founders were so excited. And then we were amazed. I think we first launched it in March, but even as an alpha, how well it could do. And I think the problem it really solves that we couldn't solve before is a lot of software buyers, frankly, don't know what kind of software they're shopping for. They might just have a business problem. Like, hey, I'm trying to improve my sales forecasting or I'm trying to accelerate my growth. And obviously those of us in tech and software, we have all this tech speak. And we also have it on G2. There's over 2000 categories, you know, where there's marketing automation software or email marketing software or content management systems to host your website. But the reality is a lot of business people, they don't know our software industry jargon. You know, they're just like, hey, I just want to grow my business. And I think it's also always been part of the HubSpot inbound philosophy. Why don't we educate marketers, salespeople on how to grow their business? And I think what Monty does really well, now you can just go to G2 and say, hey, I'm trying to improve my sales growth. And then Monty will ask you more questions. It will ask you what industry you're in, what's your company size, how many sales reps do you have? And then based on that can make very nuanced recommendations by in real time tapping into the G2 data. And I think also doing it by conversation. And that's also the other problem, I think, with the internet, most apps, right? They, they tend to be very rigidly built with like forms and you had to fill in and you know, structured search. And the beauty of AI now allows a conversation. And, you know, it's just like you're talking to the best software consultant or the best agency partner, and it can just advise you based on a conversation, how to grow your business and ultimately what software tools might help you do it. So we really think it's going to change the game for software buyers and also for software sellers, because G2 can be a much better matchmaker. And sometimes I say it's like a dating site, you know, where we can find the perfect app the first time based on AI and based on, based on data. Hey, I want to take a quick minute to share with you what I'm working on these days with my new JV Sales membership. It includes live monthly training delivered by me on my two signature courses, Filling the Funnel and Driving to Close. It also includes monthly workshops that I'll be running on specific skills and different tech like ChatGPT and how to leverage it in the sales process. And it gives you access to my entire online catalog with every course and every tip I've ever done. You get all of this for $420 a year as an individual or $5,000 for teams. And as an exclusive exclusive offer to my podcast listeners. If you go to www.jbarrows.com and click on the individual or team membership and use code podcast, you'll get 20% off. Let's make this happen together. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in terms of the, um, in terms of the people that you find leaning into, to G2, um, from having talked to the team, in the past, I understand there's a bunch of different um, customer per personas, uh, whether it be marketing team, whether it be sales team, whether it be product team. Uh, I was wondering, like, what is the what are your best customers? How are they using G two today to excel yeah. and grow? And you know, G two is a two sided marketplace, if you will. And the number one persona we want to serve is a software buyer, and we've always said software you know, the buyer first, because ultimately we want to give software buyers, which to us include over a billion knowledge workers around the world. And we all saw this with the pandemic, you know, every knowledge worker now, if they weren't already are using cloud apps all day, 
obviously, you know, video conferencing apps like Zoom, CRM apps like HubSpot or Salesforce and, you know, so many other purpose-built apps. And so we really believe it's essential for the knowledge worker to have the best apps, to have the best software stack, because ultimately it determines our productivity at work, it determines our happiness and our success in our career. So we think that's the essential mission. Make sure all billion knowledge workers have the best software and, you know, we call them software buyers. And then, you know, we also, on the other side of the marketplace, we love serving software sellers and, you know, those are entrepreneurs and frankly, as an entrepreneur, I've always been also a salesperson, you know, cause obviously to grow my business, our business, you know, we have to sell our solutions and ideally by targeting the right buyers. And so, you know, I think, and that's actually where we've monetized the most, what we call G2 marketing solutions. So we can help software sellers, you know, better market their products. And I think what G2 uniquely provides from its marketplace, we have about eight or 9 million people every month now, software buyers shopping for software, and we can give marketers a you know, much better intent to target those buyers at the right time. We can give them updated profiles on G2.com so they can better communicate the value of their solutions to those buyers shopping. And we also can give them great content. And, you know, I think the content we believe buyers will really trust. And actually your founder, Brian Halligan said this, I think the world is in a crisis of trust. And uh, the reality is, you know, we tend not to trust companies anymore. We don't trust governments. You know, we're very skeptical, but who do we trust? We trust our friends. And uh, G2 is kind of bring that concept to your professional peers. You know, we also find, because you know, as a salesperson, sales leader, who are you going to trust? It's peer sales leaders. And that's also who you're going to trust for technology advice. And so that's, that's the core idea behind G2. But we also believe as a seller, you know, what better way to prove your value than to have trusted references, trusted reviews on G2 tied to people's LinkedIn profiles so that the buyer can then, you know, find, find trusted advice. And we think that's going to lead to a much more efficient sale, you know, if, if the trusted peer is recommending your product versus it just being your own marketing claim. And, and so we do now have over 3000 software vendor customers are all around the world. I think almost 3,500 and they are using G2, both the marketplace the intent data and the content and to grow their business more efficiently. Uh, and so uh, you mentioned before that, that you were uh, the original salesperson. Uh, I listened to a podcast recently that set, mentioned uh, you built the a sales playbook with one of your co-founders that was uh, up to hundred pages and that you're still evolving that over time. I was wondering uh, the make it happen community is, is obviously uh, very focused on sales. I was wondering if you could talk through like that that sales playbook and and the evolution over time. Yeah, and my co-founder Matt Gorniak and I, you know, we have built this sales playbook, which yes has grown into 100 pages, and we started building that together at my first company, Big Machines. And frankly, I remember in 2003, I kind of learned the hard way as an entrepreneur how important sales is, because you know, three years into our first venture, we were frankly almost bankrupt, and we'd started that company at the tail end of the dot com boom. And this AI boom maybe reminds me a bit of that, you know, but we launched a company back in 2000 and the first year it was great. You know, VCs gave us $20 million and they said, wow, you guys are, you know, young geniuses. And frankly, we didn't know what we were doing. And we learned that the hard way because three years later, we'd burned through 19 out of 20 million we'd raised. And frankly, we only had a million in AR to show for it. And our metrics, frankly, were pretty terrible. So we weren't gonna be able to raise more money. So we had to go in organic growth mode. And at that point, I also had to take over sales myself I tried to hire somebody to lead sales, but frankly, we hadn't found that product market fit. And so, and I think most people say that you know, as the entrepreneur at the beginning, until you get to true product market fit, <laughs> frankly, you have to be the person selling because you have the most expertise, the most passion, 
And I kind of learned that the hard way. And then I had, luckily I hired Matt Gorniak, you know, just as a junior sales rep at the time, I only had two sales reps. And then he and I kind of together learned, you know, how do we really sell B2B software? A lot of it, obviously the top of funnel, the qualification, how do you grade them? But equally, probably most importantly, how do you really sell value? Because we were also an early cloud software provider. So we had to build really compelling value business cases because those early companies at the time we were selling to manufacturers, they were very skeptical about working with a small startup. So we really had to create the best value case in the world and you know, really make them believe that you know, this, this software we were selling was going to transform their own sales process, save them a ton of money, and that we had well thought out plans that they could trust us to take care of them. And so we really learned together. And then ultimately we scaled that company. You know, I think at the end we had well over a hundred sales reps. It was acquired by Oracle for $400 million and we'd grown it to over 50 million ARR. And probably what I'm most proud of from the time we were at 1 million ARR and almost out of business, we never raised any more money and organically grew it to 50 million to a global company. And all those lessons we learned, we then distilled in the playbook. And that served us really well. And when we went to build Steelbrick, because that company had just as much success in two years and was also acquired by Salesforce you know, for close to $400 million, but we were able to apply all that knowledge from the first company into the second company. And so I think codifying your playbooks and when we learned that was important is you know, when you only have two reps, you can be very informal, but then, you know, both companies, we wound up with you know, revenue organizations over hundred people or now G2, we have over 200 people. And so if you don't have a structured process and playbook enablement, you know, those people won't succeed, at least they won't succeed very quickly. And so it just becomes essential that, you know, you create your playbook, that you create good enablement and can get your reps productive much faster. Yep. That rep time is hugely important. Uh, so, so what is in the playbook? Like what, what it, uh, I would imagine it's more than just talk tracks. It's more than use cases. Like what, what do you, um, what are you distilling in that, that you want reps to, to be able to, uh, represent when they go to pitch G2? Right. And it's really the whole funnel, you know, kind of from the top of funnel, which might be kind of an inbound inquiry. You know, how do you qualify that lead? How do you actually turn it into an opportunity? Then how do you properly grade those opportunities and ultimately convert them to closed one? But then along the way, there's a lot of tooling. You know, for example, there's templates. How do you respond to that initial inquiry? What questions do you ask the prospect on that first qualifying call, you know, to see if this is actually really a valid opportunity? And then also, you know, how do you, once you've qualified the opportunity, what's the right messaging, you know, in that first sales meeting, which typically will include, you know, we call it our first vision call, which includes all playbook. Here's the slides you present to paint the vision for the company. Here's that first demo that you do. And then here's how you follow up on that first call. And, you know, that, but then there's a whole process and there's the second call. There's a core tool I mentioned around building value. We call it a BOA, a breakthrough opportunity analysis. And where we would, with our customers together, define how they could achieve breakthroughs in sales productivity using our software. And we then back that up also with whole spreadsheet model you know, to quantify the ROI together with the customer. So they really believed it. And, you know, then it continued into implementation templates, SOWs, implementation best practices, because once the customer is convinced of the value, convinced of your provider, they start to have fear. How do I actually implement this? You know, and can I can you be a trusted partner? So then it has all the implementation best practices and, you know, everything you need. So really from the top of the funnel, all the way through closing and even beyond closing, you know, then we have a whole customer success playbook, which 
you know, is separate, but I think the customer, the prospect also wants to feel and know that, Hey, it doesn't, the, the relationship doesn't stop in any way when the deals mark closed one. Cause we also learned that's actually really when it just starts, you know, when, you know, how do you take care of them? How do you make sure they're successful? And then ultimately how can you grow and upsell them? So it's really a holistic approach to the whole, you know, customer life cycle, all the way from that initial inquiry, all the way through closed one, all the way through successful customer outcome. Mitch, you brought up one of the heretical ideas, which I have, which is that there is no such thing as closed one. And mm -hmm. it's funny that closed one exists in almost every single CRM I have ever seen. And I don't think that it actually exists. Mm -hmm. That it is, as you said, it's just when things are starting. And maybe it works for washing machines or refrigerators where nobody's going to touch it for another couple of years. But in SaaS, if you've got re recurring revenue, like you have to be in there. You have to make sure they're successful. True. And I think that pressure is higher than ever. You know, I think most companies, including G2, were having more churn challenges because the reality, we mainly serve software marketers and you know, it's a tougher market for them. They're not able to raise funding. So a lot of them are cutting back their marketing budgets. So I think you're right. If you don't from day one, start delivering value, making that customer feel great about their purchase, obviously successfully implementing, but also communicating to them, Hey, here's all the value you're getting. Here's why you should be excited. You know, if you're not doing that, yeah, I think it becomes very challenging on churn. And I think also the expectation from investors now is that we all have, you know, very positive NRR, net revenue retention, where on average, not only are we retaining, you know, the SaaS dollars people are spending with us, but ideally every year we're growing that book overall. And uh, so I do think, Russell, it is more important than ever. And you're right, maybe we should call it like closed start or something, you know, because <laughs> it really is just the beginning of the, the customer relationship. I love, I love, I love close start. That's the first uh, alternative that I've heard. Um, I, so I talked to Alina at, at Chili Piper, and one of the things that one of the tips that she mentioned was to um, use a Chili Piper link for uh, somebody who's canceling, mm. and to try to get in front of the person to find out like what's going on and if that is something that can be addressed quickly. And they said that that was one of the experiments they had run recently that was was uh, successful. Um, uh, God, uh, there's so many different directions we could go. Um, I, in terms of AI, coming back to AI, I was wondering if you can share some concrete examples of how your sales and marketing team are using AI, uh, if you have anything today. Yeah, and we are putting it into our website chat also. So we, you know, I think most people have this website, but we've also put Monty in our chat so that we can provide much better answers you know, to software marketers that want to learn more about how they might upgrade their G2 profile, how they might engage with our audience. And frankly, we trained that seller Monty based on just call recordings. And, uh, you know, we kind of just took to start, we just took 20 call recordings from our best sales reps. And then we trained our Monty, which is built on top of ChatGPT. And we were amazed, you know, even after just being trained on 20 good sales calls, how well Monty can answer a lot of common prospect and customer questions. And, uh, and I think that's obviously, that's great for the buyer because you know, they can get educated much more faster. They don't even have to wait for a sales call. And so I think we're really excited to enable more and more self-serve by taking a lot of that knowledge, you know, where you traditionally had to talk to a salesperson or maybe go read a blog post right now it can just be an intelligent conversation with the chatbot Monty right on G2. And uh, we think that's really going to accelerate our sales cycles and sales productivity. And so do you think, um, uh, I've got a view on it, but do you think that that's going to superpower your salespeople or that's going to focus them on the very end of the, uh, the funnel and, and yeah. 
How, do, how think, do you think that's going to affect sales? I do think that's going to you know kind of superpower them because I think the ultimate value of a salesperson is in building that human relationship. You know, and also letting the customer feel your culture, feel that you're going to take care of them. And frankly, that's something, as far as I know, we can't put in the AI, you know, the human connection, the human community. And, uh, and I think also being that, that human advisor. And so I think it does, in my mind, it'll take away a lot of the mundane work. And I think also, I know what you guys are working on the HubSpot, right? Also the mundane work of like filling in all the forms to update my CRM pipeline. I also think AI can parse conversations. And I think that's what your founder Dharmesh is working on, right? And just do the pipeline updates for you. And so I think a lot of the tedious tasks that traditionally sales reps had to do manually, I think the AI can automate. And so I think it can give salespeople more superpower and make them more productive than ever. Of course, on the flip side, I would say if as a salesperson, you don't adopt it, or frankly, any knowledge worker, if you don't adopt it, if you don't learn, then I do think, you know, it could be a challenge or frankly, even a problem, because I think we can all use the tools and I use them myself. You know, I always have ChatGPT4 open and if I'm sending somebody an email, why not use it to improve it? You know, we can all use it to improve so many aspects of our work. And so I think it's one of those tools now in technology where you know, all of us, if we can seize the opportunity, learn, we can really automate a lot of our mundane work and really get better at, uh, you know, using our superpowers. So I think it's an exciting opportunity and big inflection point that I do think will power the best salespeople to more and more productivity. Look, you know, we're on the HubSpot podcast network and we love spreading the word about other podcasts that we think you should check out. And you should definitely check out the Side Hustle Pro podcast with Nikayla Matthews Acolm. This podcast showcases diverse entrepreneurs who've scaled from a side hustle to a profitable business. And I absolutely love Nikayla's real and authentic depiction of what it's like to do a side hustle while working full time and all the emotional roller coaster that it takes to build a viable business on the side. She tells all of this from her own personal perspective of doing this herself and brings on guests who share their own journey with practical advice that you can take action on immediately. So listen to Side Hustle Pro wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I, it's interesting. Some of the, one of the best use cases that I have seen is combining conversational intelligence with AI and, and being able to write up uh, call meeting notes and next steps, follow-up emails, things like that, which are the bane of every sales person's existence. Like you, you want to talk to your customers, but actually writing those notes and getting that into the CRM is not the thing that you're most excited about in life. And so being able to streamline that and make people more effective. Um, but I do also really see like a lot of, a lot of activity, like, and this is one of the spaces that G2 is involved in is around buyer intent and like, what things are customers asking? Like what questions are they not asking and how can you engage with them? And, and being able to surface that, I think can really superpower reps. For sure. And I think you write a lot of that mundane, as you said, you know, write up my call notes, document the next steps. Like a lot of that can be automated away and just be much quicker. And uh, sure. I do think the real superpower of sales is going to be more and more on the EQ, I would say. You know, cause even the IQ of just answering basic questions. I think the AI can do a lot of that, right? But I think really building the trusted relationship, the trusted connection with the human beings at your customer, I think that's going to be, I think where salespeople can really focus. And I think that's what the best salespeople enjoy. Yep. And so um, I'm curious from a go-to-market perspective, 
historically has would you say that G2 has has been very much a, a marketing driven engine a sales driven engine how how would you uh PLG like how how would you classify your your GTM yeah and it's probably i would say i would call it product assisted growth you know people are talking about these hybrid models and i think the one unique thing about G2 versus the more traditional SaaS business i built G2 is very much a two-sided marketplace and so honestly, engaging the customers is much easier. And G2, we're committed to a freemium model. So as a software vendor, you always start with a free profile on G2. And you don't have to pay us a penny to be number one in your category. And one example of that, like for years, Slack was always number one on G2. And frankly, we could never get them to sign up for our paid marketing solutions, but we were okay with that. But they had, you know, 40, 50,000 really happy reviews. And so they actually love G2. They just never, and frankly, they were growing so fast. They felt like they didn't need our marketing solutions to grow even faster. And, uh, you know, so, but I think that's the way G2 starts. So it's very much, you know, I think easy to engage that prospect because they're already on G2. We can share some interesting information about how are they doing in their category. And, you know, they're already on our platform. And then what our sales team does, it kind of assists them in learning about the value of our premium marketing solutions, such as buyer intent or if they want to use our content, you know, in their own sales campaigns or marketing campaigns. Cause once downside of sending your prospect to G2, that some sellers see now they're in a very competitive marketplace, right? Because a prospect also sees your top 50 competitors, you know, which, which is fine, but most salespeople prefer, Hey, I'd rather give them the great reviews reference page, you know, custom branded for myself powered by G2. So that's just kind of one example, but then that's what our sales team focuses on is you know, basically educating that prospect that's already on g2.com on the value of our premium solutions and then also assist them you know in implementing that and having success with it and so i think it's you know, always been a, a hybrid motion where we haven't and i think over time with ai we can probably get more people to fully self-serve but it's been more of hey sign up for g2 start using it for free and then our sales team you know, can start to engage them and hopefully convince them of the value of moving to a, a premium marketing solution uh, so w one of the things, so I'm, I'm based in, in Europe, uh, and I often encourage the app partners that I work with to invest more heavily in their GT, G2 profile if they are selling it to the US, uh, because I think that it's absolutely key step uh, if you want to succeed in the US to have a strong G2 presence. And you're right, in a way, it does show you alongside your competitors, but better to look good in that comparison rather than to look mediocre. And or even, it, I honestly think worst case, you're just missing, you know, that, because it has become a stamp of credibility in our industry, right? It's like, what do you mean? You don't even have a single review. You know, I do think that, that uh, yeah. So I think at least you want to be there. Definitely. And, um, and like I said, you can be there for free. That part doesn't cost you anything, you know, because it is designed for startup entrepreneurs. Because frankly, we didn't like the traditional analyst model, Gardner Forrester, you know, where I remember my first company, Big Machines, at the end, we were spending 100000 a year with them. We could afford mm -hmm. to do that, but it took us like nine years, I think, to get you know, a Gartner report, 12 years to become a leader. And how many entrepreneurs want to wait nine years? Um, I, <laughs> I, I won't go down. I won't go down that path. Um, <laughs> I, one of the things I'm interested in is that you offer dozens of integrations with a, a variety of different use cases. and. Matthew Gombo, who's the uh, global head of global VP of partnerships at Aircall, one of the things that he has talked to me about is how he sees the evolution of partnerships from a hub and spoke model connected to a specific 
um, ecosystem to more of a mesh network and integrations between partners flowing with uh, potentially uh, sales and marketing, but also even product integrations. And um, you are you have uh, integrations with Sales Loft and HubSpot, just kind of more traditional marketing uh, sales automation tools um, and CRM. And then you also integrate with Sixth Sense and Bombora, who have their own intent engines. Um, I'm curious, like how how do you think about partnerships? Like you, you've been doing it for for longer than most people, going back to uh, big machines and steel brick states. Yeah, no, and I do think our frankly, we learned the hard way. Our first startups, especially big machines, like we struggled for years. I mentioned we were almost bankrupt, and honestly, one of the things that lifted us out of that was starting to partner. And in the relatively early SaaS days, I think this was even before HubSpot existed, but you know, we partnered with Salesforce early. We partnered with Microsoft Dynamics CRM and with Oracle Siebel CRM. And all of a sudden, that's actually what started, I think way back in 2007, what started lifting our sales growth. Because all of a sudden, once our customers could see how our CPQ could work seamlessly with their CRM, it made it a much easier investment decision. And frankly, then we also had the trust stamp you know, from big companies like Microsoft, Salesforce, Oracle, that frankly is a little startup, you know, it was hard for people to trust us without that partner stamp. So I kind of learned myself how powerful being part of an ecosystem can be to drive growth. And then at G2, we also, we very much believe in ecosystem led growth. And frankly, G2, you know, we also want to stay focused on being a great review platform, providing great software advice. We don't want to be, but to get value from our data, from our intent data, from our content, people need to operationalize it in a sales or in a marketing system. And so we, from day one, just said, Hey, let's build great integrations and let's be part of other people's ecosystems. And, you know, that's why we're also excited to be part of the HubSpot ecosystem. We'll, we'll certainly be at inbound and because yeah, we do have great integrations to HubSpot, for example, where our buyer intent signals in HubSpot CRM, you know, if you're a salesperson, you get alerts, wow, your customer, obviously on HubSpot, you provide this out of the box when they're on your own website, but equally important, Hey, they're shopping on G2 right now. They're looking at your company's profile on g2.com. They might be looking at competitors and now you can get those alerts real time in HubSpot and potentially that can even trigger actions. And this could be an ABM system like Sixth Sense where they also provide scoring, let's say, you know, where you can provide lead scoring, account scoring, and you can see which accounts are really heating up based on the digital activity, not only on your own properties, but also on g2.com. And so we do see that's how people really get value, you know, or if they want to use our content, put it into an email marketing campaign it can seamlessly flow into HubSpot or, you know, whatever email marketing solution you might be using. And so we do think you know, it's a bit like peanut butter and jelly to maybe use the, the American, uh, you know, analogy, but it goes really well together. Or maybe in Germany, it's like uh, Wurst und Senf, you know, uh, your sausage with your, your mustard, <laughs> but it does go very symbiotically. And I do think almost every startup now, I think by being part of bigger ecosystems, you can accelerate trust and growth and frankly, utility, because it is very much an API driven economy now. And most startups, you're not going to be a platform or a suite day one. So you really want to be symbiotic to larger players, use their APIs and add value to your customers by plugging into the platforms your customers are already using. And so how do you uh, motivate or incentivize your salespeople to lean into those partnerships? Um, and I think usually in most people, let's say, I remember at Big Machines, Steel Brick, we had sales reps aligned by region. And I remember we said, hey, 20% of your job is to get to know the partners in your territory. And uh, because you know, I think the customer will respond so much better, even if your partner, if all they do is just send an email, you know, like, hey, we trust this partner, you know, and meet 
you know, meet Jim from my partner. I think if you get that introduction from a platform partner where the customer is already using their platform, then I think you're, you know, we saw like your sales cycles just accelerate dramatically, your conversions accelerate dramatically. So I think as a salesperson, thinking of yourself truly as a relationship builder and truly surrounding your prospect or your customer, obviously reaching out to them, but even better, if you can have a trusted partner from a platform that, you know, or could be an agency, a consultant that's already working with your customer, if they'll give you a trusted introduction, I think your odds of engagement are probably 10x higher and your sales cycle will be that much faster. So I do think in this modern world of ecosystems, it's essential that salespeople think about surrounding the customer with relationships, you know, with partners as well. And so do you, uh, how do you handle that in terms of commission perspective? If there is a partner attached to a deal, does the salesperson get less commission or it's exactly the same regardless of whether it was partner sourced or partner influenced? Yeah, we always make it exactly the same because I think if you punish your salespeople in a way, you know, by reducing their commission, if a partner's involved, honestly, then they're not going to want to introduce the partners, which I think is detrimental. So I think we always said, hey, leverage them. And, you know, if anything, sometimes when we introduce a new partner, we'll do a spiff where they get, you know, extra bonus, extra incentive if they do leverage the partner. Because partnering is also hard, you know, and the reality is, and you mentioned Chili Piper, we also have a G2 partnership with them. You know, but at the beginning, your sales reps are always skeptical. And it's understandable in sales, you're always under a lot of pressure. You have to sell your own product, you have your own quota, your own goals. And you're like, oh, why should I introduce a partner? That's just going to slow me down, right? But then, so I think providing an incentive sometimes, and then they see, oh, wow, and Chili Piper is an example. Hey, if, you know, people also use Chili Piper to set appointments straight from their G2 intent data, and they do it in real time, and they get more meetings. Guess what? The customer's going to be happier, right? They're going to buy more from us and they'll be happy Chili Piper customer. But I think it does take some incentive. You have to prime the pump with partnerships because I think most sales reps are naturally skeptical, right? They want to focus on selling their own wares and they don't want to complicate their deals with partners. But I do think in this modern ecosystem world, it's also important that you know you teach your salespeople and send your salespeople to trust and leverage the partners ultimately to make the end customer happier. Yep. Solving for the customer. It, it's... Sure. Uh... We have we have a one of the benefits of working at a HubSpot. We, we've got some cool ones like a Week of Rest, but one of the honestly one of the best is some of the colleagues that that we have in uh, in our partnership team. Uh, we have somebody from the the customer success team, uh, Katie Moynihan, who's, who's stellar. And what she always says is solve for the customer, mm-hmm. and almost even more so that solve for the partner. Because if if the yes. partner is not solving for the customer, you're not going to win in the end. Yeah, now it's got to be aligned with the customer. And I think oftentimes also HubSpot, I think that's why you guys have such a big thriving ecosystem, right? Because so many of your customers, for example, use agencies you know, to help them get the most out of HubSpot. But then they also plug in a lot of partners, you know, like a, a chili. 40, 40% right? attached, 40% wow. attached to agencies. Yeah, 40% agencies are helping them have success. And then I'm sure many of them are using apps from your marketplace. You know, help them get even more value from their HubSpot platform. And, uh, but, but ultimately, yeah, partnerships are only good if the end customer is happier, has more value from using both solutions. And, uh, and I think the good news with in modern APIs, it's easier than ever. Um, but you still have to build those trust relationships where the end customer ultimately sees more value, but they also trust that, hey, if HubSpot, you know, if you're introducing a partner, that a partner is going to add value and do a good job. And of course, one of the best ways to validate that is with G2 reviews. Yep. I, <laughs> I absolutely believe it. And in a way, coming back to the uh, how will AI change things, that I, I see uh, 
uh, a way for, or, or I see the huge opportunity to manage the complexity of the buying process, to understand the the organization and, and structure of, of customers and, and cross-selling and upselling. Uh, but also, as you said, man, building those trusted relationships with partners, because you just need one positive or negative word to come in from the partner side and your deal that you think is going to side this month just gets blown up or it gets signed. And true, that yeah. it's hard to have not, you don't have much visibility on it. Uh, but if you're in sales, that is a, cu- a huge part of your job. Yeah, because odds are they're going to blind reference you with your partner. You know, for example, I'm sure if it's you know a HubSpot integration app or integrated app, right? They're going to ask their HubSpot rep, "Hey, what do you think about this partner?" And obviously, ideally, they say, "Great, you know, five of my joint accounts are already using them, having great success." I think your know, middle is sort of, eh, I don't know them. That's already bad. In mean, worst case, is oh, don't do it. You know, one of my customers failed with it. And, and I think you're right, that ecosystem reputation can be quite fragile. And so I think, yeah, if it's with a partner, you want to double, make sure the end customer has success and then market that success, you know, because then it just builds, builds upon itself. So it's, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's super crucial that, you know, that the customer succeeds and then you build those relationships with the partners, let the partners know, mm-hmm. hey, our joint customers are happier. And ideally, you have some stats where, you know, look, they're going to get so much more ROI with your app, my app. And by the way, they're going to renew more. And, and I think, and I remember also, you know, after Steelbrick was acquired by Salesforce, they also had a bunch of data that, you know, for example, customers with one app exchange app installed renewed much higher. And then customers, once they have five or 10 partner apps installed, of course, the renewal rate goes to almost 100%. And I think that's true for any ecosystem because once, you know, the end customer is not only using HubSpot, but a bunch of your partner apps, they're going to be very, you know, committed, locked in because they're getting tons of value across tons of apps. And frankly, switching becomes almost impossible. I, absolutely. I, I definitely think as we look at retention and, and how you manage that, uh, we we don't see it going up to 100%, but uh, definitely that, that we see it. That never happens, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is a very large uh, double-digit uh, increase. And we've seen that on, on case studies for, for our partners. Uh, uh, so really excited about that. Uh, one last question. I, I realize we're just over time. Um, any advice for um, sales reps or BDRs that are early in their career as somebody who is, has started in the trenches as the first seller and then built up a business? Yeah. I mean, I would say right now, especially it's a time, it is a time to grind hard. It's a tougher economy. And frankly, the reality is also true for a lot of our young sales reps at G2. You know, sometimes they're like, hey, you mean I have to like make more calls and I might make less money than two years ago. That's true. You know, I think it's true in a tough economy, but I do think, you know, showing grit, perseverance, resilience now, what I've always seen then, you know, those people that make it through these down cycles in our industry, they come out so much stronger. And so I'd say, yes, more activity right now, grind more, talk to more customers. And then the other key is just get better every meeting. And that's always what I've seen our best sales reps do, right? Every meeting, you know, they get a new objection or they introduce a new partner, but they're learning something every meeting. And their top track, their messaging gets better every meeting. And then if you compound that, you know, it's that whole mantra, like get 1% better every day. Or even if you get 10% better every year, you compound that for a decade. And, you know, all of a sudden you'll be the best salesperson or best sales leader, or maybe you'll even be an entrepreneur. And so I think, you know, grind hard now, get better every meeting, really listen to your customers. If you do that in a downturn, then it'll be incredible what you can do, you know, when, when growth returns to our industry. Goddard, it's been it's been a pleasure. Um, looking forward to to seeing you at SaaS Talk. 
Uh, if folks want to get in touch with you on on LinkedIn, is that is that the best option? Yeah, LinkedIn is great, or my email is godart at G2. And I always love hearing salespeople, entrepreneurs around the world. So look forward to hearing from some of you. And yes, Russell, look forward to seeing you in Dublin. Uh, an honor to have you here on the Make It Happen podcast. And I uh, look forward to, to seeing you soon. Yeah, take take care. care. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. With your support and our incredible guests, we're one of the top sales podcasts out there right now, and I can't thank you enough. Now, to keep the momentum going, it would mean the world to me if you could go and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and share some of your favorite episodes with your network. Also, check out my new website at www.johnmmichaelbarrows.com, where you'll find even more ways to engage. There's a ton of free content, and you can also get trained from me directly as an individual or for your team. Look, I'm out there selling every day just like you are, and I'm doing my best to stay on top of all the latest trends in technology. So if you're looking to level up and you give a shit about this profession of sales, let's connect and let's make this happen together.